Whether it's digital or analog design that keeps you busy, today it's all about the experience. This is Experience by Design, a podcast exploring the latest trends and solutions helping create the most intriguing experiences you can imagine and the ones you can't. Hosted by Brian Mazaros. Welcome to another episode of the Experience by Design podcast. I'm your host, Brian Mazaros, and today we welcome Cindy Cotto, Vice President in the Retail Practice for Callison RTKL. She's based in Seattle and also President of PAVE, which is the Planning and Visual Education Partnership. Very excited to welcome Cindy to the show today. Thank you very much for joining me. Hi, Brian. So glad to be here. This is awesome. I've been looking forward to, to talking to you for a while, um, so it's really a pleasure to, uh, to catch up. So how have you been? How has everything been going? Uh, it's been up and down. Um, you know, we're through this pandemic. Um, it is happy, stressful, all everything kind of wrapped into one. But, you know, hopeful um, and just continuing onward um, in, you know, working in retail design and other um, practice areas as well. I think that's one thing that during this pandemic is, you know, there's kind of the blurring of the lines uh, between working on different practice areas, um, such as hospitality, workplace, commercial. And, um, you know, there's kind of a blend even on the client side from that perspective. How, how have you seen, I mean, with, with retail, because um, I'm very keen to, you know, kind of hear your perspective. I mean, if, the difference that you're seeing maybe heading into this year versus versus how the latter part of last year went. I mean, do you, do you see more excitement, more more openness to to experimentation, or you know, what what's that been, been like so far? I think what a lot of retailers are doing right now is you know really stepping back and and analyzing their business and and how it's changed through the pandemic, um, but, you know, really also examining, you know, kind of a three to five year plan um, since I think everyone has gotten the short term plan in order. So now it's time to focus on the long term plan. And, you know, where before it maybe was just focusing on um, design and, and, you know, for brick and mortar, um, it now has changed to where, you know, we've had to go in and really look at the omni-channel. And I know, I know everyone cringes of that word, um, but, or words. And, but now I think it's very true because it, you are kind of forced to work together um, to be successful, you know, in all facets of your business, whether that is online, you know, brick and mortar, you know, loyalty program, brand, um, digital technology, everything um, has to be talking to one another in order to be successful. It kind of seems to that, and I think you're, you're absolutely right, that, you know, if anything from last year, it forced the silos to break apart and to, to really kind of come together, like you said, and, and create these more cohesive type experiences for consumers. Um, yeah, I think from my perspective, there's definitely a lot of frustration when things started to go into lockdown and, and, and you would order online. And, and if you would have to go into the store, there was that confusion or was that process 
actually baked. Um, so I think it's been nice to see, at least what I've been seeing, you know, the silos coming down and, and realizing that um, different divisions need to work with one another. I mean, there needs to be more collaboration. Yeah. And, you know, it. I, I think that that is great from that standpoint because it, it really wasn't happening before. And, you know, it all is still, though, related to the brand. You know, how is the brand represented through all these channels as well and holistically? So I think that's great, too, from, you know, re- really um, having the retailers examine their brand. You know, what is their message as well? Um, and, you know, how does their brand resonate also with a lot of the things going on in the world today? Do you see, I mean, what, I think the interesting, at least one, one interesting perspective um, has been just looking at, in general, um, the store itself and, and how the store has been designed and whether that is accommodating to you know, certain standards, you know, in terms of social distancing or, or, or even, um, you know, interaction. I mean, have you seen a challenge with, with designers struggling to make sense out of, you know, the current, the current square footage or just the current design of their environment to accommodate, um, you know, new behaviors or, or just, uh, um, you know, people coming into the environment to, to engage yeah, you know, it depends on the client and, you know, when um, we're looking at um, opening like a new prototype, um, some are taking into consideration, you know, the, the health and safety measures um, to a T that are kind of going on now, but then um, some are, you know, kind of thinking more forward where if this isn't going to open you know, for a year and a half, two years, possibly, then, you know, what do we address from that standpoint? I think what has happened with uh, our existing clients that have rolled out new prototypes during this time is, you know, we've looked with them um, at opening or before opening, kind of a retail next perspective, inclusive of um, kind of new rules and guidelines, and how can we adapt the space that they already have, um, both on the exterior and the interior, um, and you know still be inclusive of experiential elements uh, during this time um, when they still can remain open, but you know they're restricted to the number of um, consumers that that can enter. So, you know, we have done that and I think it's great to, you know, work with the brand from that perspective um, and setting up, they may be temporary strategies, but, you know, also being able to work within what you already have and maybe have to add a little bit or revise a little bit, but it really isn't going to be costing you a lot of money to do that. How many of them do you see are, are have been experimenting? Um, whether it is like you said with with prototyping, or um, you know even even bringing in um, new new elements of technology to expedite various transactions. Do you, do you see them more more open to those suggestions now? Yes, in terms of you know how checkout is, how the POS is, 
you know, things being touchless, how to be, you know, informative through, you know, um, EGD, environmental graphics, um, digital and technology. But, you know, it has to be purposeful, right? And I think from a digital and technology perspective, they're not, they're looking at it through their whole omni-channel um, and, you know, footprint of the store. And, and where is it purposeful within the store um, and, and educational from that standpoint too, um, from the service offerings to, you know, what um, the store has available or even the app um, has available from that standpoint or your loyalty program, um, but that they all cohesively, you know, work together. I think, the effect it's also had on brick and mortar, though, is, um, you know, fulfillment. And so the bigger box stores are looking at how um, do I maybe take less performing stores or take space in within my store um, for fulfillment? Because, you know, that has increased a lot um, during this pandemic you know, whether it's Bopis or curbside or um, any other types of um, fulfillment that uh, the retailer is offering. So when we chatted a couple of weeks ago, you had said something I thought was interesting was that um, sort of a renewed emphasis on the front of the store, even the exterior, I think to, to your, your point about fulfillment, um, about you know, defining those areas a bit more to help facilitate those transactions. Do, do you see that as a as a trend going forward versus it is short term or more long term to where um, you know, the brick and mortar puts more emphasis on whether it's through signage or just the design of it to, um, you know, how people are, are you know, as they're soon go into the building or to the, you know, the first few feet of it, that there's more definition as to what they want to accomplish or, or provide to that consumer? Yes, especially, you know, like you were saying on the exterior, you know, with these added services for pickup, um, you know, you see, you know, signage, um, like, for instance, in uh, at a Target store, you know, the curbside. And, you know, now, I think a lot of people started out with curbside with maybe four stalls and now they're taking a whole row. You see that in malls as well. You know, different levels have different um, pickup um, for the different retailers, you know, within within the mall. Um, but also, you know, if there is room, um, a lot of retailers are planning for maybe two entryways. Um, one is for that quick and easy get in get out um, and pick up um, or and the other is more to engage with the store um, and so that on the outside you know does affect the storefront um, if there is two entrances the other thing is too is you know some of the stores at the malls are have lines you know, because they only can have so much capacity. And so looking at ways of engagement, you know, with the consumer at the storefront, um, if they are waiting in line and not just with the storefront, but hopefully with the product 
um, and the brand. Do you think, and it's it's kind of a, you know, kind of thinking just what you said, I mean, how does that impact just even stored format? Um, you know, meaning that does it, because you see now that the experimentation of, does, you know, does it go more experiential or there's even the rise of pop-up? Um, stories to where it's it's not taking out the full square footage. It's it's sitting in the center court in a mall or in an open area, open air environment. Um, do do you see those models, um, you know, being a way to combat that in, in terms of the lines, or is is that just a trend that you know started to appear prior to even heading into lockdown? I think um, the pop ups, yes, are more um, prevalent now uh, and maybe they aren't always in a mall environment Um, you know they're an extension of the brick and mortar or the brand and you know maybe they're more in open spaces now right Um, and brought to you or brought to your community and um, or are outs if it is a big box and there is you know um, a parking area or grass area or park nearby is that, you know, people are popping up um, in those different types of venues. And, you know, an example would also be is like Westfield um, had started, um, you know, the digital district um, at Valley Fair uh, in Santa Clara. And that was set up more for direct to consumer brands who cannot afford a large space. And so these were smaller spaces. Um, They could also be shared spaces as well. And, you know, Westfield um, was offering a kit of parts of fixtures um, that could be integrated into those spaces that, you know, they already had pre-made with an offering of limited finishes. And, you know, we actually worked on a store They're called Brick and Click, which is um, a venue uh, of brick and mortar that is bringing direct-to-consumer brands into their space uh, more from a health and wellness perspective as they start out. And so it's a great opportunity for these DTC brands to have space within a store. but this store is branded holistically and they're, you know, brands within the store. And, you know, there's a lot of empty spaces in malls as well. And um, so it's enticing also to some of the direct-to-consumer brands um, to be able to go into the empty spaces that are already maybe fitted out and then use the fixtures as well um, that you know Westfield has to offer. You become another good point. It's, it's, it's malls. I mean, do you? I mean, the Westfield is is a great example. Um, you know, malls. I mean, how much of them do really have to? I guess sort of redefine themselves as as to what the purpose is to to go there for. And like you said, it's it's retail chains are shrinking the footprint. Um, like you said, there's a lot of empty spaces. Uh, you know, I remember, I mean, it's just, I think last year, just even reading about, um, in New Jersey, the American dream, which is 
doing less about retail and more about the experiential or the um, you know, the activity side. Um, they already have the theme parks, but inside, but they're you know whether it's a, a bowling alley or um, you know a climbing type of center. I mean, do, do you see malls really struggling to figure out what the next iteration of that space is with with retailers shrinking or or well, you know going along more with a pop up format? Yeah, I think you know they're they're looking at that. I don't think they've anyone's really figured it out from that standpoint in terms of what, um, you know, needs to happen um, within their malls. I mean, you know, some uh, thoughts right now are, you know, that a lot of these empty spaces become distribution and fulfillment for the retailers that, you know, are in their mall. Um, but I think, you know, food and beverage, um, as well as experiential spaces, maybe even combined with food and beverage, are still going to be the way of, you know, of attraction um, and, you know, different types of engagement um, to bring people to the mall. But, you know, I, I have to say, too, that I... Um, was really surprised that um, I went was at Valley Fair Santa Clara and the number of people in the mall and then the number of people waiting in line. I, I think people are craving, you know, to get out. Um, obviously, there's social distancing and taking all the precautions, but um, they still look at shopping as an experience. And I think more so now to to get out and and, you know, um, have even maybe some family time or connect with a friend, you know, um, or just be in a different space. Uh, and, you know, also, I think, like, bigger experiences um, that combine um, the opportunity for someone to do something new and different. Um, is really important. You know, we we actually are working on a development in um, Hawaii called Waikai, and um, the attraction there with the retail is um, will be the largest wave pool, you know, uh, in the world. And oddly enough, it's right there at the ocean, but you can learn in the wave pool and then go out into the ocean. And uh, surrounded by it is um, three or four restaurants, as well as a retail space, uh, as well as other um, beach activities and uh, VIP uh, lounge or, um, you know, area where um, people can, you know, hang out all day. Um, from that perspective at the beach and the wave pool. But it provides, you know, that entertainment and it also provides a venue um, to have surf competitions and um, volleyball competitions and, but also can serve the community, which is full of, you know, dedicated surfers. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's interesting. Um, 
That is that is very cool. I I, I love watching the the trends of these experiential environments that are that are popping up because I, I agree. It's and and I think I could speak for a lot of people in in wanting to get out and and do something different. Um, you know, I also love the idea too of of going back into a mall environment but not being there to necessarily be shopping. Um, you know, whether it's enjoying a, a restaurant or or, or doing surfing um or, or something different um it, it it definitely you know it's enticing um and i, I think you're right i mean we, we just want to experience something new and, and different so um i'm you know i'm sort of keen to watch as as more of these concepts pop up and um and i think how malls sort of reinvent themselves i mean the, the anchor tenants i don't know i mean are, are they like you said is it fulfillment centers is it an eatily is it a um you know, is it is it a Brooklyn Bowl? It is it is it is something of, of that nature that is is vastly different. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where, where that um, that ends up going. Well, and I think the other thing too is that you know it's an outdoor uh, venue for the most part, right? And and like during the pandemic, I think that's what everyone has struggled with, um, depending on your climate. Uh, is you know how do you get outdoor um, to be functional, flexible, um, adaptable? You know, especially for F and B, and to get out and engage in an experience. So that's something that I think really people are looking at too: is what is the extension of your indoor, you know, outdoor. Do you see that, um, you know, pushing retail to be more experiential? Because you would, I mean, you would find the experiences, whether, um, you know, in the major metropolitan areas of of innovative Nike stores or North Face stores where um, it's more driven by the experience. And, you know, the stores that are in the smaller markets would, would be more of shop, you know, more focused on on product. But do you see retail being being pushed in that direction given the malls are maybe trying to create more of an experience that, you know, retail needs to live up to that expectation that you're going to the mall, you're having this this great evening and you're having these experiences, but you know, you're gonna go into a Nike store because it has that type of unique experience into it that just adds to the type of evening that you're having. Do, do you think it forces them to to really think about how do they, you know, change the purpose of the store? Yes, I think it does. I mean, what people are looking at is also, you know, maybe not as ex- much experiential, but also service offerings, right? So how can I be the one-stop shop, you know, um, from that standpoint, um, from a service, not only a product standpoint, but a service offering? and then how does my product and those service offerings tie together? So, you know, in the case of, it, it's probably more in the case of like health and wellness, right? Um, where, you know, yes, this type of brick and mortar attracts me because they offer all of these different services from a health and wellness perspective. And then they have product to reinforce it. So there is, you know, the consumer that maybe just be going there for product, but then 
is finding out, wow, they have all these services. And then they also have an app and a loyalty program that tie everything together. So again, it then starts going back to the whole omni-channel, right? And making sure that the engagement, the experience, the services, the product, you know, that they're holistically, you know, tied together, then again goes up to the brand and what they're trying to represent. How do you how do you see and this is probably taking us a few steps back, but I don't I don't know that they're necessarily DTC brands or, you know, the the brands that were born online. Um, the bonobos and the Warby Parkers that have you know started to go into into brick and mortar. Do you? I mean, we you started to see before everything you know arise of, of of those brands coming in and and setting up shop. Um, do you think they offer a, a bit of a challenge as well? Um, that they're maybe a little bit easier and more nimble to adjust and 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 be creative. Yeah, you know, I think there was a lot of DTCs that were considering, you know, going into brick and mortar before the pandemic happened. And, you know, obviously, like everyone, um, they had to pivot and online became, you know, like it was already for them, um, the core of their business, right? And so taking all the energies and monies like a lot of other retailers are doing um, that are already in brick and mortar and, you know, really focusing on that aspect of it. So I, I think, you know, the DTCs will still end up, you know, coming out more in the format of a pop-up or maybe in a collab, you know, because I think that's what you've seen a lot as well. Um, with bigger brands, you know, collabing with uh, DTCs. And uh, that's a way to get them out there as well. And uh, there's less investment from that perspective. And, you know, more can be spent on marketing, you know, dollars. Um, And, you know, it's a test too. I think that's the other thing is, not just DTCs, but, you know, retailers are taking the time to test now um, and strategize up front before they end up going into the design of the brick and mortar or the redesign, you know, um, see, and using maybe new prototype designs too as tests rather than, you know, this is it. Um, which I think is really great from that perspective. Uh, and it will allow them to be able to pivot more in a bro- um, brick and mortar, you know, setting uh, from that standpoint. Do you think, I mean, the other question I'm you know, keen to, to ask, I mean, it, you know, with, with technology and, and digital, and I think there's, there's two sides to it. There's, there's back of house efficiency, um, you know, in, like, everything from inventory management to systems to support brick and click, but um, then there's front of house and then there's the, the visual and, and the interactive and, and the engagement. Do you, do you think more are becoming aware that um, there's a balance that they can strike where you can, you can still allow for some, you know, tactile experiences to take place, but that technology or, or, you know, digital engagement allows for that to be more efficient and, and creative. Of course, that 
that opens up the topic of collaboration of of maybe they're not necessarily in the position to, but then they can work with agencies to execute. But do you see them realizing that there's this separation of the two, you know, back of the house versus the front of the house? I think there isn't as much of a separation anymore, you know, um, and holistically, you know, when you're designing, um, you have to take into account all of that now. Um, I think before, you know, you say, you know, 80-20 or 75-25, you know, would go back of house, um, front of house. And, you know, now I think that's morphing. Um, and depending on what, you know, the focus is of, of that store, what, what you're trying to get it to achieve. So, um, but I don't feel there's a separation anymore. You, you've got to look at it from a customer journey standpoint and an operation standpoint, you know, um, as to how all of that is integrated. And, you know, a lot of it is, is being integrated on your phone, you know, in your hand on the app. And uh, I think that's the, a lot of the focus right now with a lot of these companies is that weren't, you know, more like the Nike already kind of set up from that standpoint is everybody now is trying to get as much as they can um, into their app um, and that it's seamless, you know, from your hand in your hand to going in the store. And, you know, I mean, I really was an online shopper before and now I love apps. Um, and, you know, there are some that work and some that are working out their kinks and there are some that are just, you know, smooth as silk um, from a standpoint of interaction all the way, you know, from ordering through delivery. Um, and uh, I have so much faith in that now, you know, and I think that's a lot of consumers. Um, and so there is a lot of focus on that digital application, but again, through your the whole DNA of your brand. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I'm curious, speaking on, on that. Um, so with your involvement in PAVE, um, now you know I've I've, I've taught um, you know I, I, I teach a, a class every so often um, in college and it's it's amazing on what you end up learning from your students. Um, I think I've learned more about different apps. Um, uh, and I started teaching I, when the, the class I taught last semester at Seton Hall just happened during that transition of going into from online to I mean from you know, in class to, to online and um, watching the students and the different apps they've embraced. And, and, and I learned a lot of ones I didn't even know exist. Um, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, I mean, how do you, you know, with, with the students you're interacting with, how do you work with them or how do you, you know, encourage them or, or engage with them or instruct them on, on how to kind of take their awareness of what's happening and, and, and their behaviors and apply that to their designs or, or, or you know, instill that in the design education. How's that challenge? You know, um, it's interesting because at Callison RTKL um, in the Seattle office, we 
you know, decided um, through this because we could not have internships anymore, right? And we looked at ways because we, you know, this next generation, I mean, they're our future, right? And the same thing with pay, we had to pivot um, because we're a nonprofit. Um, so how do you um, get engagement with the students? not only with design firms, but, you know, vendors and retailers and, you know, people from different facets as well, whether it's healthcare or hospitality, you know, food and beverage. And it's been great from the standpoint of looking at different ways to do that. And um, what I've enjoyed the most is being able to go and speak to classes like you just said you did and then actually aligning students um, with our team members uh, directly and mentoring them from afar coaching them you know having them review their projects um, and engagement also with with classes like you said remotely i um, was on the nrf roundtables and I was just so, um, it was so great and refreshing to see students um, going through um, this pandemic and, and being positive, you know, um, about the future and adapting. Um, I know it's not everybody, but a lot that I have engaged with, you know, were working through it and, and some were even, you know, in their downtime, um, just looking at a brand that they like and designing uh, to that brand. And, you know, I saw a couple of projects like that and I was like, have you sent this to the brand? Because uh, you should, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it was refreshing to see that. And so with our office and then our firm and then with pave you know that is our mission is to keep that engagement going that education outside and and being able to connect people um with you know our industry industry leaders um and continue that momentum uh and i think what's been great too is that you know, all everybody in our industry realizes that it's important to um, provide opportunities, you know, and engagement for students. And because we are work from home, I think there's more opportunity for um, students to do that. Uh, and our industry is is really open more to contributing to that as well, which has been great from that standpoint. Yeah, I, I completely agree with, with everything you said. I it's the one part I, I felt that was I was gratifying too is that um, you know I think in the beginning uh, you know from like I said the one last semester it was it was the challenge of how do you adapt the curriculum to what's happening because part part of what you had planned was was sort of derailed with. The way that everything was was taking place, and but then I started to kind of find it gratifying to where you could analyze it and be able to at least 
guide them in the way to how to explore, how to see, like you, you change the lens and like you give them a new lens to view these engagements. You, and like you said, I mean, you, you point them onto brands that they're familiar with and you say, well, do you really understand why they're doing what they're doing? And, and then you would try to find these comparisons and say, we'll see how this brand in this category is doing this versus that brand. And then I started, it was nice because once you start to create that lens for them or those parameters of how to view it, then what you would see come back to you was interesting because then it was like, well, they get it. Now they're looking at it very differently. It's not, you know, they're looking at it for enjoyment, but they're also looking at it that they understand the strategy and the rationale behind the way that these these brands are transforming or talking to you uh, through the course of this. And like you said, you know, then it started to reflect in the projects um, because now they're starting to apply that that thinking. I mean, it, it took, a, it, it took a, a few weeks, but then I started to, and then I think even for me too, and I'm, I'm sure you're in that position, it's like you, you would spend more hours on, you know, online looking at, at, at everything. And, um, I mean, you sort of overly consumed what, what you, you know, an evening that lasted, you know, many of hours, but it was fun because you would, you would be able to come back with a fresh perspective and something that, um, you know, they really took advantage of because it showed in the work that we're putting. So that was, that was gratifying. It was challenging. I, I think it was one of the more challenging periods because you have to put your perspective on what's happening out there. Um, versus in the past, you can you can teach on examples, but here it's like every day it's a different trend, it's a different example, it's a different post on on on, on Instagram or uh, TikTok. Right, um, right. Too many hours in TikTok <laughs> I spent, but <laughs> it's like I all of a sudden I, I I'm I'm 19 again. Um, right. But but no, it's it's gratifying um, to to see the end result of them um, and what they're producing. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I. I- I think, you know, like all of us, you know, um, this time has forced us to, you know, be more innovative, pivot faster, quicker, you know, um, and for students, I, I feel, yes, it's a hard time for them, you know, being taught remotely and, and everything and, you know, missing also um, the engagement in person. But uh, I think what has come out of, from a lot of them, you know, is their passion still. And I think, you know, engaging with the students, um, you know, just infuses, you know, passion in you uh, or me to continue to keep, you know, going and, and also um, mentor them as well because that's what they need. Um, And, you know, we have the opportunity to hopefully connect them with different people as well. And, and, uh, you know, that in itself is very rewarding um, because we will, you know, get through this, everyone will be hiring again. And um, we, will need that infusion of um, our future in our businesses. I mean, I hope it doesn't stop. And I, and I hope that, um, you know, I, I hope that there's more out there that are, that are doing what you're doing, um, you know, looking at it in the, in the same way, because it's needed. Um, you know, they need the mentoring, the exposure, and uh, that's, that's critical. 
to you know the continued growth of of, of multiple um, segments. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for um, for taking the time to to chat with me today. It's always a pleasure. Um, I enjoy these. I enjoy our conversations. So I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to the time that we can share a cocktail and and chat further. So hopefully that's on on the horizon for us. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you too. So if you can let everyone know, um, you know, how can they can learn more about PAVE? Um, just just you in general or, or where they can go? So um, as you know, Brian, I'm really active on Instagram, uh, active on LinkedIn, and um, just through Callison RTKL as well. And uh, also in regards to PAVE, uh, we are planning and visual education. So you can go to our website um, and see if you might want to engage in something. Currently, uh, we are continuing our coffee chats with industry leaders. And also, we have a mask design contest going on. And for not only students, but for pros, we're calling them. And so anyone is invited to participate. And it should be really fun. Um, it'll go to a vote. and. Uh, Students have an opportunity to um, win or obtain scholarship money um, from sales of the masks that we will produce uh, and uh, sell. So it's kind of an exciting uh, challenge that we put forth. I love that. That's very cool. Well, again, thank you very much. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of the Experience by Design podcast. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at OpenEyeGlobal, and stay tuned for some new exciting episodes on the horizon. Thanks for listening.